chapter 11, page 816 in your pew Bible if you're holding it, and we'll make our way down to verses 28 through 30. Jesus speaking, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Flip forward in the New Testament, if you will, or according to the page numbers, to page 992 in the Pew Bible. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, making our way down to verse 6 through 8. This time, not Christ, but the Apostle Paul speaking to his servant, Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. May the Lord bless us to our souls as we meditate upon it. We will dismiss the kindergarten and first graders at this point. You have your Bibles open to 1 Timothy 4. It will be helpful for you to have your handout here, this sculptured picture of me that was done earlier in the week. I hear those laughing out there. (laughs) This summer I want to revisit a series I did three years ago on the spiritual disciplines. I've been going through Mark 11 and 12. We asked, there was a series there of questions that got asked to Jesus and then answers that he gave back. And we're going to pick up with Mark 13 a bit later. But for the summer, I want to consider ourselves on a spiritual training program. So by coming to Christ Community Church today, you've now volunteered for the spiritual training program for the summer. And I want us to all think of ourselves trying to get in better shape Physically, or I mean spiritually. Uh, the word gymnasium is from the Greek, and it's the word training that you'll see in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.7. And it originally meant to exercise without clothes. And so thus you have this picture that uh, you're well known of as the discus thrower from the Olympic Games in Greece. And so the first step in this spiritual exercise program really is to strip away any pretense, sort of any fake flattery that you might give to yourself or someone might give to you, and sort of get down to who you really are, and then to stand in front of the mirror. It might not be particularly pretty for some of us. And just look at ourselves spiritually and say, I need work right there. Now, you may find that you need more work in, and work in more than one area. That may be uh, surprising, but let's just try to focus in on one area at a time. And so part of your assignment is just to sort of strip away anything that's really not true about you and just be honest and look in the mirror and say, yeah, no one knows it, but I, I really got to have help right here. So let me pray for us. Lord, we come to this day and we come to this particular passage and we think about spiritual training and exercising our bodies. 
and exercising our souls. We know from Romans 12, after this great piece of theology that Paul had unpacked, Romans 1 through 11, he gets to a point where he says, now we must offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The knowledge is not enough. Our, our bodies must somehow come in to this knowledge. And we are now charged by the Apostle Paul through this letter in Timothy to discipline our bodies. That somehow the discipline of our bodies is bound up together with the growing spiritually and actually being a follower of Jesus and not just a believer. Your call is to call is a call to follow, which means following in the practices of your life. And I pray that we are led to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to go through several preliminary comments, seven of them to be exact, before we begin, that I think will sort of frame what I'm trying to accomplish with the series. Number one, this series is an introduction when we, we're going to Haiti in a couple of weeks and I'll be out from preaching for a couple of weeks. But when we get back from that, then we'll start, start talking about some more specifics about spiritual disciplines. Secondly, when I read 1 Timothy 4, which, as Greg mentioned, is a letter to a pastor. Paul is writing to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, who happens to be Timothy. And in the beginning of that chapter, he, sa- he says, uh, I want you to be a good servant or a good minister. And I want to be a good minister. And I don't want, as Paul exhorted the people in chapter 4, verse 1, to abandon the faith. He's exhorting Timothy, you've got to do something so your congregation doesn't abandon their faith. I don't, I don't want you to abandon your faith. And therefore, it's going to be critical that you actually understand how to train yourself to be godly. That's part of not abandoning the faith. Number three, last week's sermon, when we talked out of uh, Mark chapter 12, you might remember the widow who had the two pennies that she gave. And the picture that caught most people's attention was this huddle. Remember, Jesus takes his disciples, both in this passage in Mark, but also early in, earlier in Mark, and he asks them this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You are the divine man. You're the one that everybody's been waiting for. And then he says, okay, you got that right, right. That's the first thing you got to understand. Now, huddle up. And, I'm, and everybody who believes that, I'm now going to call this play. So they all get in this huddle. And they get down and they're looking at each other and saying, oh, this is exciting. We got the right information. And here Jesus is going to give us the play. And he says, okay, anybody who really understands that I'm the Christ, anybody who really wants to follow after me, and everybody's leaning in going, yeah, that's me. Isn't that you? Aren't you in on this? And he says, okay, anybody who wants to do that, they must deny themselves. They must abandon all of their hopes and dreams, and just follow after Christ alone. And I had this picture in my mind that Jesus said, okay, clear, ready, break. 
and he walked away, and all the disciples stayed in the huddle. Because they believed that Jesus was the Christ, but they weren't really ready or prepared to run the play. And so few people actually break the Christian huddle. They say the right things. But when Jesus says, now this is how you're supposed to live your life, ready, break, so many Christians stay in the huddle. And they just continue to repeat the things that Jesus says, but they never actually do those things. And so we as a congregation want to learn not only how to live for Jesus, but we want to live, learn to live, learn to uh, learn how to live with Jesus. Last week, number four in preliminaries, last week we heard a testimony from Charlie and Kim Kazare, which they were anxious to come back up front, I might say. Once they sort of got up front and got used to it, they both wanted to come back up front, so I had to dissuade them for that, didn't I, Charlie and Kim? And um, I thought about them this week and how critical it is to to have that first step to say, you're the Christ, I'm the sinner, I need a Savior, I'm repenting, I'm turning around, I'm giving my life to Christ, I'm rededicating myself. All of those things, very critical. You, you can't really start anywhere else other than that. But as I thought about that, I wondered if we understood what the second step was. Or do we just sort of get people to the first step and then you pat them on the back and say, well, keep coming back on Sundays. What's the second step? What would you say it is for somebody? Okay, I've given my life to Christ. What what do I do now? Help me out. What would you say? And the short answer is you now have to plan to live like Jesus Christ. You have to make a plan to live like Jesus Christ. And you might use the word discipleship, And then the person might say, okay, what do I do? What's the plan? And my guess is most people would kind of just start fumbling at that point. They wouldn't be real clear as to what that would look like. So I want to offer some clarity in that series, in this series about that. Fifth, planning to be like Christ takes some intensity. And what I mean by intensity is if you come to church once a week, and you sort of dribble some verses on yourself during the week, you're not going to reorder your mind and your body. Coming to church once a week, and then through the week, just dribbling some verses over you, you're not going to reorient your whole mind and body to Christ. That's not going to happen. That would be something like uh, making uh, one drop of water fall on you every five minutes and try to think you're going to get a shower. I mean, you can stand underneath the shower head for as long as you want, but if one drop comes out every five minutes, you're never going to get clean. You have to have a lot of water for a sustained period of time if you actually want to get clean. And so if we want to reorder our whole lives, if we're now moving in a direction that we're going to have to completely turn around from and move in, a, in another direction, to just come once a week and sort of dribble some verses on ourselves, we're not really going to make much of a turn. There needs to be some intensity 
for a long period of time so you begin to turn around. I've used this illustration a couple of times before, uh, but it's so helpful for me when I think about what it is that I'm trying to do and what it is I'm hoping you try to do. My daughter, Morgan, is a ballet dancer. And one of the things that they try to help her understand is how to hold her stance to get into a certain position and you would hold your arm this way or you'd have your feet in a certain way and they would just say, okay, do this stance. And then the teacher would come up and say, you know, you have your arm out here, but what I really want, and they have to force your arm and put it in that place and say, I want it right there. Now drop your hand. Now put it back up. And no, it's not not quite. They, They come and force it. And so that's what the spiritual disciplines do. You want to plan to be like Christ. You want to live with Christ and live for Christ. And it's going to take something and someone coming into your life for a sustained period of time and you saying, is it like this? And they go, no, it's not like that. It's like that. You got that? Okay, let's try it again. It's like that. And then it's called muscle memory. After you've done it for a sustained period of time, you can go back and take this stance all the time. It's very normal and natural to you. But it takes a sustained period of time for that to happen. And so we need to know what it is that we need to be doing so we can really live transformed lives. Personal transformation rarely is going to happen through a single unique experience. Let me say that again. Personal transformation is rarely going to happen through a single unique experience. And the reason I say that is quite often I get into conversations with people and they just say, I wish something would happen to me and it can kind of sort of reorient my life. And you sometimes pray that for your children. God, just something happened, but be merciful that would reorient their life. Most of the time, it's a sustained, disciplined practice that reorients your life, not just a single event. A single event, of course, can get your attention, but then you're going to have to reorient the way you've been going and to move in a different direction. I think I'm now on number six now as a preliminary. When I mention spiritual disciplines... Likely some will have this immediate preconception. Oh, boy. Oh. This is going to be difficult. This, oh, this is going to be costly. I mean, I, I know I need it and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, this is just going to be hard. And we would quote things that we've heard before, like G.K. Chesterton said this, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting, as it has been found difficult and left untried. Or most of you are familiar with the book title by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. So the common vocabulary when you think about discipleship or discipline tends to be difficulty and costly. And I'm not trying to minimize the cost of it, but I do want to balance this off in your mind. If you're one of these people who, who your immediate reaction is that, I want to balance it with Proverbs 13, 15 that says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. It's hard on your life to be unfaithful. Soren Kierkegaard, who's on the front of your bulletin, says this, it costs a man just as much or even more to go to hell than to come to heaven. 
You see, so often we think, well, I don't want to implement these things because they're so difficult and it's so much easier for me to live in this way. But I want to suggest that living in this way, if it's unfaithful, actually is more costly and more difficult than living in the way that God has designed. If you have been around for any length of time, you know as an adult that you can think of a time where your lack of discipline has actually been much more costly than if you had exercised discipline. If you have not been in the habit of reading your Bible and praying, you have made poor decisions. You've made self-centered decisions. You've made man-centered, humanistic types of decisions. You've just said, well, I don't know, this sounds like the best thing for me. And some of you have made decisions that now you have to live with the rest of your life. And it's difficult. It's hard now because you made this decision. You're having to live with it now the rest of your life. If you don't exercise fasting, if you're not able to say no to your body, your physical impulses, you know. You know that that's costly. And I'm not just talking about food. Sex, materialism, and the list goes on and on. Fasting begins for you to say, I can say no to an immediate impulse. And many of you know you've had immediate impulses and you've acted on them right away and then they've cost you in the long run. If you don't understand how to exercise silence as a spiritual discipline, then you talk too much. And if you talk too much, you get yourself into trouble. Things just come out of your mouth. And you spend a lot of your time trying to reel it back in, but you've said things now because you don't have any discipline in this area. And now you've wounded somebody and you just can't take those words back. You can't, you just can't say, I'm sorry, and then they're gone. It doesn't work that way. You've been wounded and you've wounded somebody. So now you live in a harder way than if you'd ha- actually exercised some spiritual dis- discipline. If you don't exercise simplicity, and this, this may be one of the most important of all of them, for our culture, the lack of exercise of simplicity leads you into a house, a car, a lifestyle that you can't afford. And I regularly see people who are getting crushed by their financial decisions because they just felt like this was the next right move in some way. We had to have... And now they they struggle to find joy. They sort of go through the motions, but they're being crushed by the weight of the decisions they've made. And so we could go on here with these things, but I'm just trying to keep this in perspective. It is difficult to do what we're going to try to do. I don't want to minimize that. But I do want to say it's more difficult not to do them. 
It's going to be more costly than less. Finally, um, I'm aware of my own deficiencies. When you prepare and preach week after week, mostly what you realize is how imperfect you are. You don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, Joe and Tom, and you spend most of the time thinking about, I don't do this. I need, this is what I need. I need to reorient my life towards this. I, and that's what happens when you get into the Word. And so most of the time you'll be just hearing me preach to myself. So if you don't get anything out of it, you can just pray that I'm paying attention to what I say. If you're a new Christian, you're somebody who's thinking about Christianity, or maybe you're just stuck, you're just kind of in a flat place spiritually. My hope is that this exercise this summer will begin like a crowbar to sort of pop you out of the place that you are and move in a more godly direction as Paul asked Timothy to do. If you look at your picture of me and um, try not to lust, that's an exercise. And notice the assignments on here. So you're getting an assignment today. This is the. Some of you are going, why did we choose today to come? And now I've got an assignments. I'm just going to, I'll let you read through these, but I just want to mention them to you. First of all, you need a workout partner. You're not going to be able to do this by yourself. So it can be your husband or wife. It can be somebody you're already in an accountability relationship with. It may be that you're new here and you just don't know who to choose. And if that's the case, you can call the church office and we'll connect you with somebody who's also looking for a partner. Just somebody to say, this is what I'd like to work on. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? And move in that direction. If you haven't memorized Psalm 1, then I'm going to ask you to memorize that. And we'll try to do that as a congregation. Psalm 1 is a great psalm to know, just talking about the two different paths you can go. The the way of the blessed man is saying no to some things and saying yes to some other things. So if you haven't memorized that, then you need to go ahead and write it down on a set of index cards and put it somewhere, whether that's in your car or on a mirror, and begin to memorize that. If you've already done that, then just go to Psalm 119. You can figure that out on your own if you didn't get that one. Parents, I'm listening to a CD about Jonathan Edwards and his practice of spiritual disciplines. And the speaker said all of the disciplines, almost all of the disciplines that he learned, that he exercised as an adult, he learned as a child. So you need to think about how you're incorporating this in your family. I meet regularly with three high school students. They're all in ninth grade. Let's hope that they're all going to be in tenth grade this time next week. I can't imagine anything more more important for them than to think about how can I exercise discipline right now in high school. Because some of you realize I didn't exercise it in high school and college, and I've now I'm living with a lot of baggage here. So it's not just something for adults. This is something if you're in middle school or high school. You can begin to implement these in your life. And as parents, you need to help your children think about which one they should tackle. And finally, just pick one thing. There will always be some resources listed, and sometimes I'll go over those, not today, but you can look for yourself if those would be helpful. I want to just talk quickly about two things here. First is sometimes we have a faulty model of living for Christ or living with Jesus And then I want to take a brief moment just to look at the easy yoke in Matthew 11. 
Several years ago, my car broke down on I-40. I was about 30 miles up I-40 in my, I don't know, something went out. I'm not a mechanic, so it just didn't go anymore. And I'm on the side of the road, and I call somebody and say, I'm mile marker, whatever. Can you send somebody up to tow me and my car back? It was, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning. It's pretty early. And this guy comes up, and he's getting my car all set up. And he couldn't get the car on the tow belt or whatever very well. And so to sort of talk about his, sort of explain his frustration, he used several colorful phrases and words very loudly here on I-40. And so I was like, okay, can I help? You know, I don't know. I'm I'm just standing there. And so finally he gets it together. We get in the tow truck. So I'm riding in the tow truck with this guy. And he starts shifting gears. And I notice there's a little bracelet on his wrist. A little plastic bracelet and has four letters printed on it. WWJD. And he had said J somewhere already in his conversation. And so I was just sort of played dumb. It's like, hey man, cool bracelet. What, what's that your daughter's name? Or, you know, just kind of, what is that? I'll ask, what would Jesus do? I said, well, what does that mean? Well, that, that means I'm supposed to live my life and act and react according to how Jesus would live his life and act and react. Well, I, having a keen eye for the obvious, Realized there was a pretty good disconnect between his action and the bracelet that he had on his arm. And I want to ask, what was his problem? His problem was the same problem you and I have. Most of the time, it's not that we don't have enough knowledge. I don't think it's if I had told this guy, well, you know, all these four-letter words you've been using, that's really not a good exercise of WWJD. He wouldn't have said, gosh, I'm so glad you told me. I had no clue until just now. (laughs) He knew all the information, but what happened? He couldn't perform it. He hadn't been trained. He had been trying to act like Jesus on the spot. And that's what happens to most of us. We just try to act like Jesus on the spot. I'm into this situation. What do I do right now? Well, whatever you do right now is how you've been living your life the whole time. You're not just going to be able to act on the spot. Let me see if I can give you one more illustration that's helpful. You're the coach of a Super Bowl team. You're three yards away from the winning touchdown. You have one play left. You know exactly the play that you want. You want your quarterback to get the, get the snap, roll right, look for an open receiver. If nobody's open, he's got to duck and dive and dodge his way into the end zone so you score and win the game. You turn around and look at your bench. And on the bench is Peyton Manning. And next to him is Vince Young. And next to him is Paul Phillips. Who are you going to choose? What? What's wrong with choosing me? I got the what would Peyton bracelet do on one one wrist. I got the what would Vince do bracelet on the other. 
And I'd say, I know exactly what you want. You want somebody to take the hike, roll right. If they can't find somebody open, duck, dive, dodge away into the end zone. I got it down. Why can't I be the person you choose? And you would say as the coach, Paul, you understand what to do, but I have no confidence that you can do it. See, most of the people I talk to don't need some more information. They need to know how to do what it is they've been told to do. And so part of what the spiritual disciplines do is begin to help you know, how do I take this information into transformation? And so that's some of what we're going to be trying to uncover Dallas Willard says this, the general human failing is to want what is right, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intended what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Our faulty thinking is to believe that we can behave like Jesus on the spot instead of living like him in the totality of our lives. So many Christians feel like failures when they read passages like, bless those who persecute you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go the second mile. Turn the other cheek. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Do not be anxious. Because you look at them and say, I, can't, I just can't do those. And then you hear and read 1 John 5, 3, His commands are not burdensome. Burdensome. They're impossible. How can they not be burdensome? They're burdensome if you're trying to live your life with Christ on the spot. But if you're taking up the totality of His life, You're beginning to live all of your life like Jesus led his life. Then when you get to these places, then you're much more naturally going to live as Christ would want you to live. Most of you would remember what the earliest Christians were called. Not not Christians, not disciples. What were they called several times in the book of Acts? They were called people of the way. That was what they were called. And I think that's a better picture. Their whole way of life was going in a certain direction. They just weren't believers, because anybody can believe, but their whole way looked like what Jesus was talking about. So when we read Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The secret of the easy yoke is to first come to Jesus. That's the place to start. Have you come to Jesus? But then we must take his yoke and learn from him. Which means we must follow in his preparations. 
We must follow in His disciplines if we hope to actually follow in the will of God. How is it that Jesus can take up a cross? He preparated Himself. He he had preparations. He had disciplines in order for Him to do what it is that God wanted Him to do. If you want to have any hope of doing what God's will is, you have to prepare yourself and discipline yourself just like Jesus did. A helpful reminder, and it came from a friend, and the reason this is helpful for me and may be helpful for you is because if you're like me, you would hear a sermon like this and you'd sort of conclude that you've got to get at it. You know, you've got to go home today and you've got to start making your list and put this stuff in your week and all this kind of stuff and you probably will fail. And you'll be back here next week or in a month or a year and say, that just didn't, just didn't matter. It didn't make any difference. Because your goal was the spiritual disciplines. And the spiritual disciplines aren't the goal. The spiritual disciplines are a means to the goal. When you discipline yourself spiritually, you're putting yourself in the way of the goal. And the picture that this friend of mine gave me, he said, spiritual discipline is kind of like working on your suntan. You ever hear somebody say, I'm going to go work on my tan. What kind of work do you have to do to work on your tan? I mean, is there any real work to it? You just got to go lay down. It doesn't look like a lot of work. But what does the work? The sun does the work. And it begins to transform you. You look different. And so that's what the spiritual disciplines are. You are just going to put yourself in a place to expose yourself to God. And then He is going to work on you. So I don't want you to go home and say, I did these three things and I checked them off the box and I must be getting better. Just say, I'm here, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm exercising this spiritual discipline, not to just check it off because I did it, but to say, I want the sun to begin to change my whole life and reorient me to a completely different way of life. I have been living my whole life, even after I gave my life to Christ, still walking in the same direction. And if we want to reorient ourselves, then we're going to have to lay out in the sun. Jesus Christ. And the way you lay out in the sun is you exercise these spiritual disciplines. And then they begin to provide a highway to God. And that's what we want to look like. Jesus came and He gave His body. If we are going to look like Jesus, what are we going to have to give? Our bodies. We can't just say, well, I believe it and I think it. Your whole body has to be reoriented now to Jesus Christ. And so He comes and He says, I'm making a new covenant. I'm making it in my blood. 
When you take a drink of this, you remember that I gave my life for you. When you pick up the bread and you take a piece off, you remember that I gave my body for you. And so as you come forward this morning, you're not just coming forward to say, I believe in the information. The Bible says Satan himself believes in the information. But what does Satan not want to do? He doesn't want to follow. He has no desire to follow. So as you sit here and ponder, have you given yourself to Jesus Christ? Now, are you ready to walk in the way that he walked in the totality of his life? Let's pray. Lord, as we take this communion time, I pray that this is a moment to sincerely reflect on our lives and to really ask if we've given ourselves to Jesus or we've just hoping Jesus would come in and fix the things that we see that need to be fixed. That's something totally different. And for all of us, that you would help us to see ourselves accurately, to point out the things that you want to see addressed first, that we might actually walk in your ways all the days of our lives, not just on the spot, but in the totality of our being. We would live not just for you, but we would live with you. I'll ask the elders to come forward and for those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, for fallen people who have trusted Christ in their Savior, not for fake people, You come forward and remember that Christ has given His body for you. That you now would give your body for Him.